0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Hey everyone, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and I have a a guest who I'm going to introduce you to momentarily whose also name is... Justin. So it's going to be a very Justin heavy episode. Uh, But uh, I wanted to pass to you some news or updates that I have uh, since last time you heard my crisp, clean voice over the podcast. (laughs) Um, So we recently started doing giveaways. So where we rate, or sorry, we recently started doing giveaways for uh, reviews. On uh, on the podcast platforms. So what we've been doing is is we've been selecting one written review a week when we record, and uh, we'll read that review aloud, give the person a shout out, and we'll ask them to shoot us an email, and then we will send them a free hat, which they can pick off our Harvested Nature store. So for this week, I'm going to read the review called perfect timing and it says this podcast is just what the hunting public needs to know and not just a hunting public but the general public who are on the fence about getting into harvesting their own protein so that was written by wsmc 923 via apple Podcasts. so uh if you're out there and listening to this week's episode shoot us an email at what's cooking at harvestinature.com And uh, let us know which hat you want, and we'll get it over to you. Outside of that, we just released our alligator hunting shirt this week, uh, which corresponded with our release of our alligator hunting podcast, which was a really great podcast where Will and I were traveled up to North Florida and we did a a mobile podcast while we were there. And outside of that, we had a blast. I did some recent travels too, which you'll hear about in, in other mobile podcasts over the next few weeks. And then on top of that, we have, uh, I've personally been working on some great recipes. So in accord with our, our recipe, we did, uh, a while back about the heart, the liver, the call fat and tongues. I think it is. (laughs) Uh, I, I was able to save some of those from my travels and, uh, working on venison heart hash recipes and, uh, some dirty rice recipes. So trying to use the whole the whole animal uh, for those. But I think that about does it for me. So I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce you to Justin. So uh, he is a social media manager and digital media specialist at the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Justin Morrissey, welcome to Harvest of Nature, man. Good to be on. <laughs> so uh, I guess so we know who we're talking with outside of that Brief introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about about yourself? Where you're from? What you do? What you enjoy doing in the outdoors?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I grew up in uh, West Central Wisconsin, kind of right by the border of Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, I am an avid outdoorsman. Have um, hunted for the last sixteen plus years. I'm um, pretty, um, I'm pretty active, pretty avid hunter, <laughs> um, but uh, I also grew up fishing. I love that, um, so I'm pretty well rounded when it comes to doing anything really in the outdoors um, as a sportsman. Um, and then I'm lucky enough to have my passion turn into a career for me. Um, I got started in uh, college doing some. Actually, it was right out of high school doing, uh, doing some filming for. Uh, local regional and national television shows mm-hmm. and so i was able to travel around and film uh, elk hunts mule deer hunts and uh, go up above the arctic circle and film some uh, a muskox hunt and a bunch of other cool things like that um, so i had some really great experiences doing that stuff and then um, went to school and uh, happened to go to the shot show a couple times with the professional Outdoor media association um, I was an intern at the time with um, with that organization, and I met my supervisor at uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation and kind of had an interview that was not even an interview, um, and that led to the position that I uh, I took on about six years ago at NSSF. So, I moved across the country to Connecticut, and just uh, the rest is history, I guess. I mean, it's it's been a heck of a ride. I've been able to hunt all over the country. Um, And uh, now I'm back in Wisconsin where I grew up and I work remotely. And um, I just enjoy being uh, outdoors still with family and friends and uh, bringing new people out. And yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it, I would say, but, but I do uh, a lot of different types of hunting, I mean, primarily, I would say my favorite is bow hunting for whitetails, but I also have a, a bird dog, and I love to do upland bird hunting, and also waterfowl hunting a lot, um, and my main, I would say my main motivation for it is probably, uh, I don't know, I, I would definitely say food. Um, and that's changed over the years. I would say like the adventure and the thrill of it is kind of what drove, drove it for me when I first started off. And then, um, slowly over the years, you know, the benefits of the food and, uh, the value of just hunting your own game and seeing the full circle behind that. Um, it has just been really rewarding. So, um, so I would say that's, that's what has kind of, driven driven me to become uh more and more avid hunter over the years
1: so i i have to ask we were uh you mentioned getting into to filming hunts and things like that nope. um recently started doing some filming myself and and trying to get accustomed to life behind the eye versus life as a hunter and just kind of uh look trying to balance that role in the field but uh what was it like your experiences sort of behind the camera and, and what were some of your favorite moments you got to see?
2: Yeah, sure. So being behind the camera is there are pros and cons to it, right? I mean, um, I would say the first roughly 10, uh, yeah, probably 10 years that I hunted. Um, uh, most of the time I actually had a camera with me and I was hunting, not even hunting. I was holding a camera and i was shooting animals with the camera (laughs) versus a uh, a weapon so so i um kind of balanced that off with my brother and a couple other buddies of mine that are really avid into into hunting and um, the really cool thing about filming though is it teaches you that one it's not about the the kill itself um you know it's fun to go out and it's fun to just soak up the experience with a buddy And it's a lot more meaningful when you can go out and you can actually share the story in real time with somebody else Mm -hmm. Um, because that's another thing that drives me to be a hunter is like the stories behind it um and so that storytelling aspect is just a lot of fun but one of the most unique things about filming that can help anybody become a better hunter is reflecting on the hunts that you filmed and being able to see whether you're hunting or someone else is hunting Um, you know what you can do better and also when you when you film something that you know didn't quite work out right you you watch it over and over and over again and it kind of just instills these solid (laughs) reminders not to do certain things or to do certain things um, in the future so those are some of the coolest things uh, or best things I guess that uh, hunting has taught me, uh, filming hunting has taught me, but, um, I've been able to go all over, but I would say the coolest film, uh, hunt, uh, filmed hunt that I've been on is probably the hunt above the Arctic Circle. Um, I filmed with, uh, Babe Winkleman Productions up there and it was a 10 day hunt. We filmed muskox, but we saw moose, grizzly bear, caribou, wolves, um, just a ton of birds um migrating like ducks and loons and all kinds of stuff um and it was just a really really unique experience in one of the most pristine areas of North America so it was pretty cool how
1: uh, how how cold was it
2: it actually wasn't bad so we in the northwest territories um the season actually starts in august and in august there is no snow or very little snow um, there's, I mean, there are definitely parts of the Northwest territories where there's kind of snow lingering throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time there wasn't a lot of snow. Um, and it was, I mean, it got to be t-shirt weather at times outside. Um, oh, wow. so it's not like the typical, you know, a lot of the muskox hunting, you see a lot of the videos are in like sub-zero temperatures, um, mm-hmm. snow blowing out in like a, snowy desert looking landscape this was not this was like tundra there were blueberries everywhere um and open water and uh yeah so it was it was a really cool experience and you know that that was one of the things that taught me that um I mean I did get to go on that hunt and I got paid to to film which is a perk but um I've done other hunts where I've paid money to go do it because it's just tough to beat experiences like that and they're pretty priceless when it comes down to it
1: that's it. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, I like your point that you made where you, you said uh, you kind of watch the film. If, if it's a failure or a mistake, you watch the film over and over and over. And just like, I, I replay those moments in my head, but it makes me think about like high school football, you know, where the coaches, all right, we're going to watch the reel this week and see what everybody did or didn't do. And uh, you know, yeah. that kind of critique session, like we're going to try to take away something from this.
0: <laughs>
1: but, yeah. uh, 100 percent that... i i i agree
2: with you 100 percent on that and it's uh it, it reminds me of when i was in high school and my my golf coach um i kind of played golf in the spring just for for fun you know it was totally a recreational thing not any sort of co- competitive thing for me um and my my golf coach said you know you can hunt the rest of your life you can't you can't play high school sports so you should you know, really focus on high school sports right now while you can. And I just remember telling him like, Hey man, I know my passion. And you know, if I miss a golf meet on a Saturday because I want to go turkey hunting, like that's just what I like. And uh, so anyways, that was pretty funny. And then it ended up turning into a career for me. So there you go.
1: Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> You're like, take that.
0: <laughs> exactly, kind of,
1: yeah. So, um, so how how long have you worked with the the NSSF uh, now? So you mentioned you kind of met some of those those folks at, at SHOT shows and things like that and just yep. kind of worked your way into it. So how long have you been working there?
2: Yep. So that was uh, over six years ago that I, I mean, at this point, it was almost seven years ago when I met my supervisor at the SHOT show. Um, but I got hired about a little over six years ago. Um, moved to Connecticut for three and a half years, hunted in the Northeast a lot, um, really got a solid uh, uh, foundation at NSSF um, with learning all about the industry, about um, operations, how we um, can do things most efficiently um, on behalf of the industry, um, what the industry voice should be or what it is, um, and how we can kind of steer that in the right direction, both uh you know, for for everything that we do, I guess, um, which does delve into politics um, quite often. So, um, so learning like the politics of everything with uh, with firearms and with hunting and all that—that's uh, not my favorite side of things, but um, it's it's definitely something that's really important to know um, when it comes to making decisions um, for like voting, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, prime holidays, prime, prime so. topic
1: right now <laughs> yeah
2: exactly no kidding so uh so yeah i mean i i was out there for three and a half years and uh we've done a lot of really good things since then and uh, um yeah and actually when i was an intern with the professional outdoor media association um a couple of years after i joined the nssf team um i actually became a board member on the professional outdoor media association so um so that kind of everything just changed really fast and uh so now i'm like deeply rooted in the outdoor media realm um as well as the marketing side of things um for for the outdoor industry so it's pretty pretty fun and entertaining job
1: nice that's good and uh a good a good bit of travel i imagine
2: yeah i mean not during covid times well. but uh <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I I travel uh, a decent amount, enough to you know keep things exciting. Um, I would say it averages out to be about once a month. I go on a trip. Um, a lot of the times though, it's to like a conference. So from the times that I filmed hunts, you know, and I would fly to, you know, the middle of nowhere in Utah or something like that. Um, it and now it's me flying to Florida, you know, Jacksonville or or to houston uh texas or las vegas you know to go to a conference or something like that but but it's fun because i get to see a lot of people i know in the industry and uh, a lot of a lot of good stories to tell always and uh it's just fun working with a lot of people that share your same passion
1: do you uh you dive much into the world of uh cooking wild game and fish
2: yes um yeah i i've gotten into cooking a lot more over the years um right away i mean i would go hunt like like geese you know canada geese and i would Mm um you know shoot them and have fun shooting them and then i'd be like crap now we got to eat them (laughs) but (laughs) now it's like completely turned around now it's uh it's actually really interesting um i always so i'm not a big uh wine drinker okay i don't Uh drink alcohol much in general, but, um, but I do know enough people who like wine and I know that wine, uh, you know, it's an acquired taste. There are a lot of little tiny, um, little flavors in wine, um, you know, that tell you about how the wine was made, um, what it was made of and so on and so forth. And I compare that to wild game, especially ducks. So all the duck species they have different diets, and mm-hmm. depending on yep. where they, where they uh, you know migrate to, or you know the area that they, they live in, um, even each uh, individual duck of the same species can sometimes have a little different flavor. And so it's really interesting. The more you eat wild game, the more you can tell the differences between uh, the, you know the different species of duck, and you get to enjoy. Um, you know that gamier taste of duck or geese or whatever species that you're hunting even big game you really enjoy it the uh, you know the wild flavors of it um, because it's I mean it's all edible um, it's just mm-hmm. a matter of you <laughs> having you know being able to to put it down so <laughs> but uh,
1: but I, also- I, I, like, I I like that analogy the wine, the different varieties and flavors found in wine in comparison to like duck and and the other game. But yeah, more I, more specifically, especially duck, man, there's so many different flavors and you got people, it's like, nope, I don't want to drink this kind of wine. I don't want to drink uh, Merlot. I don't want to do that. And people are like, I don't touch Merganser. I don't touch wood duck. I don't, you know, yep. <laughs> there's so that's much variety it. out there. And you have people that's like, that's all, that's all I'll eat. yep exactly
2: and and the best part of it too is if uh you know if a duck if a duck doesn't taste the best or any any game species doesn't taste the best just raw you know like like you cook it up no seasonings on it you try it like you can really learn what um how to best like conquer that flavor that you don't like Mm -hmm. you can knock the flavor right out of it i mean i i cook duck sometimes like the the um gamier duck um species that i shoot like uh, diver ducks or sea ducks even um they have a really strong flavor but as long as you like saute onions and mushrooms and put in some good uh seasoning in it and then really cook it in it for a while you know or even mm-hmm. dice it up um or you can marinate the duck, um, in either teriyaki or anything else. You can even marinate it in wine, red wine. And, uh, there you go. I mean, so they're, they're we're tying wine and wild game back together again. now. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. <laughs>
1: yep. Have you ever, uh, have you ever eaten much antelope like pronghorn? Antelope? I actually
2: don't think I've had antelope. I, it, it might be, uh, pronghorn might be the only species that I haven't, had yet like a north american species
1: but i oh, want you that. gotta put it yeah you gotta put it at the top of your list it's uh it's one of my favorites it's like kind of a it's it's become almost a, a yearly a yearly pursuit to get it but it, it's funny i was up in wyoming and you know, the, one of the local guys was in the store. We were in the gas station waiting in line. he's like, how you doing? You know, I told him about my hunt and everything. And he's like, well, next year, bring some buddies, shoot 12 of them. Can't stand those things. And I'm just like, <laughs> I think they're great, but uh, they just have this, you know, some people have this perception of them. They're just like, nope, uh, I- I'm going to pass. But uh, it, it makes me think back to like the very first time I had antelope and I was preparing it and everybody's like, you got to, you got to, you have to overcome that sage kind of flavor. Cause that's, you yeah. know, that's a lot of their diets, primarily the sage. And they're like, it's, it's really strong. And I was like, well, so what we do is you find something that complements sage. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to find things that you can pair with sage. I mean, you know, like think about, uh, we call it like cornbread dressing or, or stuffing or all that. You put sage in that, right? So what are some of the components that are in just that one dish? And like, then all of a sudden you start playing around with it. And through a lot of research, I found, um, not a lot of research, but through some, (laughs) uh, found like, yeah, citrus pairs well with antelope. So like orange juice, lemon, lime, like things you wouldn't normally think would be in, in the central plains at all. But Hey, you know what it, it works and it yep. not only does it sort of move past that flavor that some people may not like it it, it enhances the the taste of the meat so Yep. Yep. That's it, one thing I'm That's
2: that's the fun part of uh cooking wild game as uh you know you you really want to go in the field, harvest something and then be able to eat it, you know? It mm-hmm. and it, and you want to it almost makes you like, if you go to the store and you have the choice to get something that's like super flavorful that you really enjoy or like a a less enjoyable piece of meat. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that's, that's up to personal preference on what each individual likes, but when you go out and hunt something and if you're passionate about hunting and you love the thrill of it, like I love, I love to duck hunt. And there were some duck species where I was like, you know what? I don't really like the taste of this, but I love hunting them. And so when you, you know, when you face that conflict of like, well, I really love doing this. And, oh, I don't really like the meat as much. It it makes you want to overcome that flavor. And Mm -hmm. it makes you want to figure out, makes you want to put on your mad mad scientist chef hat, right? (laughs) And start like playing with everything um to to make it more enjoyable in 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 every step of the process um because then you feel better about hunting the the game and you you know and it's enjoyable in the end and it's it's all really healthy stuff Mm -hmm. so you kind of have to get past that flavor sometimes and just say like you know what i'm going to learn to like it and that's it but a lot of wild game i that's not even the case a lot of wild game is just good right at the start so
1: 100 percent um it kind of tugs on that uh, uh like responsible responsible hunter string and I like i've got all these animals here I, I like the pursuit and i like overcoming the challenge in the pursuit but it's also the end result no matter what you do is always the same like you're left with meat and if it's underutilized it's a waste and nobody wants to waste things i mean yep. i think uh i won't say no one but uh, the majority of people don't want to waste things especially like if you're you're behind the shot or you're behind the arrow or, you know, the, the fishing hook or whatever, like you want to be able to mm-hmm. take that home and, and utilize it. So mm-hmm. we've been recently kind of talking about, and I'm, I'm going to tie this into our, our whole conversation with the, the plus one movement uh, that you guys have going on as well as, but we've been talking a lot about venison diplomacy and sort of using food yep. as a, as a gateway into into the shooting sports into archery into fishing and all that so it's like not not as much a uh, a very specific term but very broad as a an approach and uh we actually we have a shirt that says venison diplomat on it uh, as an invitation for people who uh, like sharing wild game meals like myself uh, with others so um, but looking at sort of introducing new, Hunters into the sport, or junior hunters, or adult onset hunters. Can you tell me kind of about uh, the plus one movement?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the plus one movement is a peer to peer initiative that encourages experienced hunters to get out and invite new hunters to go with them. Um, so it's it's very like um, like we've created all these resources for mm-hmm. experienced hunters and like inexperienced hunters, right? People who are looking to get into it, um, we have all these resources out there um, where pretty much any experience level can go on to letsgohunting.org um, and and find the right route for them to to help them learn and grow as a hunter um, and conservationist and understand like all of the elements of what a what makes a hunter, and mm-hmm. so. Um, the really cool thing about, um, the plus one movement though, is the ability to reach out and connect with people. And kind of like what we said about filming hunts, when you can go with somebody and you can share that experience and share that story, it actually makes it, it it just adds a whole different, uh, dimension to it. Um, and you know, I love duck hunting. I love pheasant hunting because it's a social hunt. And it's an easy hunt to invite other people on. Um, that doesn't mean that bow hunting or any sort of big game hunting, you can't bring somebody. Um, I, I know you can because I've filmed a lot of different um, hunts um, um, in those ways. But but like there are just a lot of different ways that people can invite, invite other people out hunting with them. And uh, also we have a field to fork program that we uh, have partnered with QDMA to uh, promote this program that they had originally created, actually the Kentucky DNR uh, created it originally. And then the QDMA kind of adopted it. And now we're kind of partnering up with the QDMA to um, promote the benefits of wild game. And typically when you, you know, give somebody a piece of wild game and you say like, here, try some of this venison jerky or try, you know, try this uh, venison backstrap, whatever, they, try it and they're like oh my gosh like this is really good and it's like yeah and guess what you can go hunt it in on that piece of public land right over there or you know you have friends that own property that you can go hunt Mm -hmm. hunt their land maybe you know you got but um so it's that connection with food and uh, that's the whole idea of field to fork um and so that kind of ties in with the plus one movement and it's just another aspect of like you know there's conservation if you hunt you are supporting conservation. If you hunt, you're supporting, um, sustainability, uh, self-sustainability, um, being able to harvest your own food, not relying on anybody else, like McDonald's down the street, um, to, to give you food, you know, and there's something really rewarding about that. And just not a lot of people have experienced that. And so the plus one movement Field the fork, um, program, they, they really tie into, uh, um, that whole, you know, that whole, uh, education (laughs) process, um, that, that people can get through to, uh, become, become well-rounded, knowledgeable hunters.
1: I, uh, I, I, first heard about the, um, the, the field to fork program. I think it was last year. I think, uh, a, a couple of the guys from QDMA were on the Mediator podcast, and uh, they were talking about sort of the whole program. And to me it was like the first time I was like, man, what a novel idea. They're like, yeah, we just go out to like a farmer's market or, you know, a festival or whatever. And we just set up yep. and we just give away tastings of, of venison or tastings of duck or tastings of, you know, whatever we happen to have. And it's like the, yep. Those are the places where you're reaching people who are very food centric, um, but may not have ever thought about hunting, but they kind of like latched on to sort of that locavore movement and, and a lot of the people that are becoming more and more responsible about taking uh food and food consumption and food growth and production into their own hands. So, um, I think it's awesome that both of you as organizations are working together on that. I think it's a, it's a really positive program and, and a good outlet, uh, to on the, both the recruitment side and and the education side and like leading people through the, Hey, here's the food, you know, the venison diplomy side to here's a, here's kind of a field example to a hunter safety course to, you know, getting your own hunting license to sort of like, here's what you do after you harvest, Mm -hmm. um, because all all those all those things, you know, um, traditionally, you look at it, have been geared towards like very young a very young demographic, and and as it's changing over time, and people are becoming more interested, especially during COVID times, uh, I, I think it's great that it's opening eyes in a lot of different areas. So, like yep. I said, I, I I I applaud what you guys are doing. It's it's pretty awesome. So, thank you. Um,
2: yeah. It's cool to be a part of a team that is promoting something like this. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's natural and I love educating people on, you know, what is naturally available to them. Um, you know, a lot of people rely on the government and society to, um, you know, and they don't even realize it, how, how reliant they are on the government. Um, and and the way our society is structured, you know, to go to the grocery store and get your food, to rely on other people, to rely on a system, well, that you know that system is not. I, I would never want to rely on that system. And I I do enjoy going to the grocery store and occasionally going to get a burger at a fast food restaurant. But you know, it, it's just really cool to be able to be self sustainable, know how to survive on your own and also know about all of the health benefits that come along with uh with being that way. Um it just makes for a more um holistic lifestyle um that I really believe in and so I'm really happy to be a part of it.
1: That's awesome. Um so as you say what what would be some advice that you would give new hunters that are looking to get into um you know, in into this, I won't say movement, but into this lifestyle of of hunting and angling and and uh sourcing food and becoming involved in shooting sports, what uh what direction would you point them?
2: Really there are like the learning journey, okay. So there's there's education and and this is what I'll I'll compare to right away. So there's hunter's ed, right? Um there's Mm -hmm. firearm safety courses, and those are educational courses they're just syst- they're systematic everybody goes through the same system you learn the basics um, but then when it comes to anything more advanced than the basics and any like field experience that you're going to get that just makes you increases your uh, abilities as a hunter or as a target shooter, um, that that relies on you and that learning like that learning path that you take is most likely not going to be like anybody else's it is Mm -hmm. every single learning path is unique in its own everybody learns things at different times in different ways with 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 other people maybe by themselves so and and just the timeline of it can vary too um and so what i would say is the best thing you can do is one you need to understand that hunting is naturally an independent thing. So to go out and hunt and to be a good shot, you need to rely on your own skills. Therefore, you need to work on your skills in that way. You also need to learn about the species and their behavior um, and all that stuff. And nobody can really tell you, I mean, you can read books about it and you can learn a lot through doing that. And you can consume content um, on on the internet, um, go to let'sgohunting.org. Um, and there's a ton of stuff on there and you can learn great things, but you can be book smart, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a good hunter in the field.
1: You just need
2: to go out and you need to chip away at yourself and sculpt yourself into a good mm -hmm. hunter and other people can help you with that. Um, and you know, I would definitely tap into outside resources. Um, other people, they are crazy good resources and they will bring you along and they can point things out in the field and all that stuff. Um, but you need to keep your eyes open, you know, like you need to have the desire and the passion and you need to put towards, uh, put forth the effort, um, you know, to become a hunter. It is work. You know, If none of us had jobs and we were, our, our job was to survive on our own. Hunting would be our job. And so that just right there says it to you. It's work, um, oh, yeah. And, uh, but it, but it's fun. It, it's a it's a very very rewarding experience, and uh, you know I would I would hope that everybody at some point or another in their life would uh, you know would get to experience that and get to understand how it feels to be independent, um, and and it, it's
1: really an empowering thing. I I think about. Um... Your comment on sort of you can you can read the books and you can read everything, but that may not necessarily make you like a good hunter. And it's been, you know, I, I read and I, I study and all that, but I've been out in the field where I've read stuff in the past. And it's not until something happens that I visually observe something in nature, an animal behavior or go through an experience or maybe a failure that I probably should have recorded so I could watch it again. But um, (laughs) uh, having one of those moments and just having like an aha of like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. That's why, you know, so-and-so said that in his book or that was mentioned in that article. And it's like, yeah, you, you don't, I think I've experienced and learned more just like being out there in nature is with the raw experience now granted a lot of it, like you said, the, the systematic side of it that you have to do for safety and regulations and all that. Once you have that structure built and you understand what you're doing, you understand what you're, where you're going and how to do it safely. Then yeah, you can venture out of, of your comfort zone and, and go experience new things. But man, there's nothing like just being out there and just like growing in your individual self while you're out hunting or, or fishing. So
2: Yep. And it's not even and it's not even about growing as a hunter too, you know. It's it's about going out, meditating, reflecting on life, um, you know, what your current situation is and your your in your life, you know. And um it's just really good to have that time to separate from um all the chaos that seems to be happening around us. And as soon as you disconnect and you go out in the woods, you realize that things aren't as crazy as society makes them out to be. And you just have to, you just need that disconnect. It's, it's healthy for you. <laughs> and hunting is one of the best ways to do it.
1: Yep. I, I agree. I, I, in coming back from traveling for a couple of weeks, I, I got back and we, we drove back down into Austin and Texas. And it's just like, I, I had this, sort of moment where I was, I was talking with my friend AJ and I was like, you know, you just look around, like, look where we came from and look what we were doing. And like, you come into this and sort of step back into what we call like civilized life. And there's all these things that, that are here that we don't really need. You know, like I, there's, you know, I I want people to be successful in their life and their endeavors and follow their dreams. But it's like, we passed a business that all they do is design ponds in the back of people's houses. Like, ornamental ponds that you, you know, <laughs> it's like, do we really need that? Where's our focus as a society? You know, um, yep. I wish that person all the success, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know that I could, uh, warrant focus on on a backyard pond or, or going out to harvest, uh, you know, meat for the freezer. It's, it's a hard comparison.
2: Yep. No, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I really do think that hunting teaches you just a lot of uh, things about the natural world. That once you understand them, you look at a lot of things around you in society, and you just go like, "Really? Like, like that's crazy." And I'm I'm not a fan of uh, you know people wearing a lot of makeup or anything. I I laugh at people. I think people are hysterical uh, with a lot of the behaviors and things that you see. I mean, you go on TikTok these days, you'll laugh your butt off if you you know, you're a conservative guy like me who loves the outdoors and loves natural things, you know, um, you're just like, wow, like look at the way things are going in society. And it's just, I just need to go sit in the woods and, uh, there's nothing healthier than that.
1: <laughs> nope. Agreed. I, I ran across a very a very interesting uh, scenario. So I've, I follow like some of the hunt, different hunting groups on Facebook and just kind of like, I like to see what people are talking about. And in this one instance, this guy was like, when I go out with my kids, I take, uh, I'm out bow hunting or sitting in the blind or doing whatever. I take their tablet so that I can just give them their tablet and like let them entertain themselves. And then whenever the shot comes up, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to shoot. And then I shoot and they just they get excited to see that and i was reading all the comments you know everybody's like yeah i do the same i do this you get some guys that you know are obviously critiquing it and i'm just like man i don't i don't know because i i'm a father myself my daughter's eight so i kind of weigh in i i I live in this world of like wanting to get her into the sport so i don't want to give her negative experiences or create stuff when it's bored but it's also like Sometimes I want to go out and hunt, but I want her to be there, but I want to hunt. I don't want to have to entertain or do that. And I was I was just running the scenario through my head and I was like, I don't know if I could I don't know if I could just be like, here's a tablet. Because what's the difference in, you know, us sitting in the house or doing something different when, when this makes me sound old when I say it, but when I was a kid, <laughs> we didn't have tablets. So you went yeah. in, you set you sit in the deer stand, but you observed and learned so much. And um, you know, I'm I'm not knocking anybody or telling them what to what to do right, what they do is right or wrong, but and just thinking about it myself constructively, I was like, I would rather go out for an hour and spend just her and I sitting in the blind or sitting in a deer stand or, you know, on a hilltop with a pair of binoculars glassing and then her be like, all right, Dad, I'm bored. Let's go home. Then I think I would spend three hours doing the same with her on the tablet and us not not sharing the precise moments that, that I know exist in the outdoors. Cause it's like you, you don't get to unplug or mm-hmm. she doesn't get to unplug in that case. It's, it's no different than a lot of other day to day things. So it really got me thinking and, and our conversation here was I'm like, mm-hmm. man, it just kind of solidifies it for me. So, uh, maybe it's that, uh, <laughs> quality over quantity thought of, of kids and the outdoors. And oh, I don't know. I, I see adults, I think well, do the same the, thing.
2: The, yep. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I totally what you know what you mean about the pond, the pond thing too. And I mean, that's like a, you know, fun example, whatever. Uh, where, you know, it's a real example of what you were talking about when you were driving, but, um, but, I, when I look at somebody consuming television and watching somebody do something on television, watching somebody like watch a show on television from a production background, I also look at it like, you know what? they are they are allowing their lives to be consumed by this media. and they're not out there doing something that can help them live a more sustainable lifestyle that empowers them more. And the more that they sit there and consume that stuff and they don't go out and they learn about the natural world and how they can, you know, be more sustainable and all that, they're only becoming more reliant on society and the government to provide for them. Like we can all sit, let's just, let's just look at it this way. If we all sat around all day long on our devices and, and everybody, that's all we did. And then we needed to eat food, right? You got all these people who have jobs going out, you know, at factories and, and they're they're making food, farmers out in the fields, um, you know, uh, harvesting food for us. And, you know, there's that whole process of everything. Um, and then we've got all these fast food restaurants. Well, how, how, like, valuable, like, and it's hard to put value on life, but like, you look at that and it's like, wow, I could never see myself sitting in inside all the time outside of work and just expecting somebody to give me everything i need to survive mm. i mean that's just that's not a healthy way to do it in my opinion and um i think that's where a lot of the differences in, a, in political opinion come from too is just the, the differences in the lifestyle like that and there's such fundamental in on such a fundamental thing in life but people are so disconnected from that, the reality of a lot of things because of their devices that it, I don't know, they just have a different opinion, and that's okay. It's free country. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run.
2: It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure.
1: You got this. Adidas. Here at Harvest in Nature, we're known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts, you can grill steaks, you can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. I see and looking like that. And I think about too, um, uh, I think back to what you said of like hunting is previously being a job, like a village of people. You have someone who was the hunter or everyone hunted for their own food within that establishment and sort of society grew like, you know, uh, we were allowed for more time in our day because someone became more proficient at growing crops and someone became a better hunter because of tools. Like all, there's all these other concepts and thoughts. Um, but then the way society sort of evolved away from that into uh, we're very dependent upon an industry to provide us a daily, a daily food and just living in general, which is, which is crazy the the independence of of life is not always as prevalent as as one would think
2: yep yep exactly and and there are benefits there are benefits to having youtube you know like yeah i was in North dakota last week uh bird hunting and uh my uh tensioner on the engine of my truck uh it actually the bearings busted out of it and i had to replace the tensioner and the auto body shop was busy um, or the mechanic was busy. And so I had to fix it myself. Well, I went on YouTube, looked it up. It wasn't actually that big of a fix, it cost me $100 for a part. So, like, that's great. I mean, it's, it's awesome mm-hmm. to have that content there to teach you things. And it's the same thing with the plus one movement and mentorship. It's yep. great to have that information and stuff that. You know, if, if the, we were a village of people, you and I, the Justin village, right? <laughs> we are a village of Justins. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we might not know something that can make our lives more efficient. And so that's why YouTube is good, because then we can just say, oh, people on the other side of the world, they're doing it this way. And they're like, we can make things more efficient. That's great. So there are benefits to it, but, you know, it's it's all in moderation. That's Mm -hmm. that's the key word, is just modern and and uh yeah. And I'm working media, so and that's my (laughs) opinion on media. (laughs) I just need to break away though. Like like I try to educate in a good way, and there are a lot of distractions, unhealthy distractions in media. And what makes me feel like I'm justified in what I do for a living is that I am educating people on Mm -hmm. Fundamental safety practices with firearms or any other tool, right? And also how to hunt to be more sustainable. Like, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing more foundational in life than being able to collect food, gather food, hunt food, you name it.
1: There it is. Yep, I agree. I I think I sit in the same seat with a lot of what we do is, is we've always focused on the educational and, you know, the cooking side of it. How to take that gamey flavor out, or how to complement it? Like, remove some of the the challenge from it. Why, you know, people can try to do it themselves, but if we have a good way of doing it, or someone else has a good way of doing it, and we use that, that's you know, that's awesome. So, yep, exactly. But I'm just like, just like you. There are moments I'm like, I gotta turn the phone off, I gotta close the computer, and I'm. Don't try to reach or call me or anything. Like I just need I need some time outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so um and talking about again the the plus one movement and um so what are some success stories that you've seen and in, in some some challenges uh as as we go through wrapping in now we're wrapping in the exact media in the program. Um <laughs> what are, what are some things that you've seen along those lines?
2: Sure. So the success stories, those all vary, you know, there, there are different levels of success. And, um, you know, I would say that the biggest success story out of them all is the fact that we've had over a million, uh, pledges, um, in the plus one movement that is, um, I believe it's a couple hundred thousand individuals, Have pledged to take out over a million people. Like that, I I think the average per person is like five people. There Mm There are, every single person that signs up for the plus one movement on average says that they can take five people out to learn about firearm safety, to learn about hunting. And so that just tells you right there, like with the slow, steady decline in hunting participation over the last decade or two. Um, you know, like there's, there is potential for people to learn. And I think what's most important and, uh, what kind of speaks to the success of the program is actually identifying the facts and saying like, Hey, no, everybody, you, you clearly can bring somebody out and, uh, you know, you, you joining the plus one movement Facebook group on, on, uh, yeah, on Facebook, um, whether it's the hunting side or the target shooting side you're becoming a part of a community and through user-generated content everybody who's a part of that page um you know everybody encourages each other to go out and there are a bunch of success stories right on there like in individual success stories right on there because every single time somebody goes to the range or any time somebody goes out hunting even if they're an experienced an experienced hunter in deer hunting but they're learning something new about duck hunting that's a success. So that's what I would say about the plus one movement. I mean clearly it it is a successful program Um, it's a great idea. Everybody has their varying levels of participation Some Mm -hmm. people go on and comment on facebook Other people scroll through a feed and they see something and they go. Oh great and like it Um, and then other people take people out hunting so like those are the varying levels of participation, but Um, but it's a very inclusive thing and we're really excited to see like all the involvement in it, all the interaction, um, and the challenges I would say, um, are definitely just getting people to feel motivated, you know, feel motivated enough to go do it. Um, but that, that's, that's an individual thing. Um, and the biggest challenge I would say is, is actually probably reaching out to non-endemic audiences to try to open their eyes to the world of hunting and target shooting. And the fact that firearms aren't what the mainstream media makes them out to be, or what Hollywood makes them out to be. Um, And so making sure that we can cross that bridge um, or or bring people across the bridge, um, (laughs) that's, that's a really challenging thing. Um, but the cool thing is that with this being a peer to peer initiative, everybody knows different people in different ways. Everybody has different ways they connect with other people. And the more people that we can connect to this program and this idea, the more we will be able to, uh, work as a community, which is a crazy important term to work together as a community to grow the sport of hunting and target shooting.
1: Yep. All right. I agree. So what specifically is, you mentioned the, the plus one pledge a couple times, what specifically uh, does that entail and, and how can people get involved with that?
2: Yeah. So the, uh, the pledge is super simple. Um, all you do is go on to letsgohunting.org. You could even join the uh, plus one movement hunting or plus one movement target shooting Facebook group. Um, and when you join those groups, you answer questions, you say, I'm going to take out, like, in 2020, I'm going to take out two people hunting this year um, who have never hunted before. Maybe, like I said before, maybe somebody's deer hunted, but they've never duck hunted. So you just add the number of people that you think you can take, um, and you make a pledge to take those people out. Um, And then, um, yeah, and basically then you're just telling the community, like, we can – add those numbers up and we can tell the community like, this is what we're doing together. Um, and so you can take the pledge by going to let's go Or if you are taking a pledge to take someone target shooting, you can go to let's go shooting.org. Um, and that's pretty much the idea of the pledge. It's uh, just making a pledge to introduce somebody new.
1: That's cool. I, I like it. I, uh, I I joined the Facebook page uh, yesterday or the that. day before. I saw that. Yeah. I,
2: I approved you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You saw I put a big number. It was like how many hunters are you gonna influence? I was like a hundred. Yeah, do it all. <laughs>
2: yeah, you you uh, you barely qualified, I'll tell you that. So Oh
1: man, I gotta <laughs> I gotta bump those numbers up. <laughs> so uh, no, it's good things going on there. And um let's see. I think so. Obviously, us being a a wild fish and game podcast, I got to talk a little bit about the food. Uh, we actually we, we talked a lot about acquiring food, but um, let me uh, let me dial in here and pull up these recipes real quick. I got a couple of recipes I want to talk about. Yep. One being uh, garlic and soy venison jerky, which is a it's it's a pretty good recipe. I think everybody, like you said. Jerky's a pretty introductory thing and I got a lot of uh I got a lot of flack today when I was at work from some of my coworkers because I just returned from my trips and they're like, Well, where's uh where's uh where's the jerky at? And I was like, Well, I can't share with you because it's COVID and we're not supposed to share food. <laughs> <laughs> um I didn't appreciate that, but no, jerky's on its way for those guys. Um but outside of that So with this jerky recipe, it's, uh, written by one of our field staff writers, Brad Trumbo. Uh, does a great job. Definitely jerky is always something I carry with me sort of when I'm out in the field or moving around or even driving. I'm a big fan of snacking on jerky while I'm driving down the road, but, um, great recipes using two pounds of, uh, stripped down venison. So you want to get it like quarter inch thick using, uh, minced or shredded garlic brown sugar with sauce soy sauce and then you can also if you like it spicy add in some uh cayenne or paprika and uh and this you're you're basically following standard uh protocol using the uh dehydrator the oven or the smoker in order to get it to uh dried and about 8 to 12 hours you want to make sure you hit that like 150 155 degree temperature mark on those but I mean it's pretty solid jerky recipe and I think if you wanted to get fancy with it and add other spices in there uh, it's definitely good a good base uh, for anybody wanting to venture into that realm and then the other recipe I've got a little bit this is on the opposite side of of commonality and not ease. Um, but there's some, some venison empanadas, which I've, we've talked about empanadas. We've talked about meat pies on here before, but I'm also a firm believer that I think every culture in the world has some sort of like, uh, dough filled with meat that they either grill, bake or fry. So I think it's pretty common to see empanadas or meat pies or pierogies or any of those things. Um, this one our field staff writer John Vile put together, and uh, instead of frying it, he did these uh, on the pellet smoker. So shout out to one of our sponsors, Traeger, uh, put them on there and um, cooked them for about 45 minutes. He pre-cooked the mix, used a little bit of venison chorizo, which we have a good reference uh, for a previous chorizo recipe that we've used on here before. So if you like kind of that really flavorful spicy sausage, uh, then this is good. And then he cut it down with a little bit of uh, fresh ground venison. Lots of spices and uh, made a nice dipping sauce. Uh, this looks like a habanero and pepper yogurt-based dipping sauce, but... uh. Really great recipe, as always. So all, all the things we've talked about in the podcast today, we'll we'll put in the show notes so that you have the links to Let's Go Hunting org, the uh, Facebook private groups uh, for the for the one pledge. Uh, if you want to get involved in that, which I encourage everybody to, is uh, like I always say, if you're, we all have a responsibility as hunters to get to get more hunters out, trying to get those numbers better and and do the responsible things so things like this apprenticeship programs the uh field to fork being a venison diplomat uh all those help out our sport because at the end of the day uh if if we're not the ones to promote it then you know uh who's going to so but um justin do you have any any last thoughts for us uh, no, nope. I, I
2: think the last thought is it's uh, hunting season. So get out there and get after it. There's never a better time than, uh, right now to get out and start learning.
1: I agree with you hundred percent. So my last thoughts, thanks again for coming on. Uh, I really enjoyed our, our conversation. Definitely very focused on, uh, being self-sustaining and, and I think hunting and acquiring your own food is, is the way to go for that. So, and I'll say to everybody out there, uh, make sure you're following Let's Go Hunting on on all the different social media platforms or Let's Go Shooting if you're into the shooting sports, not specifically hunting. Um, also, I uh, mentioned that hat giveaway in the very first part, but I'm not sure that I mentioned how to participate in it. So, whatever podcast platform you listen to, go hit that five star review. And if you leave us a written review, you get the opportunity to get a free hat. Uh, if we read your comments out on, on the next episode. So, um, yeah, leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Have a good night.